You're now locked in to HBCU Pulse. We're the number one outlet for HBCU life, talking about everything that's important to our culture, from on-campus issues to politics and what's trending on the yard. We always keep that same energy. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. What's going on, everybody? This is Randall Barnes, founder of HBCU Pulse and host of HBCU Pulse Radio in the building for another special edition of the show on today, where, listen, football season, at this current point as I'm doing this recording, is two weeks away. On week zero, we have a rematch of the Celebration Bowl from 2021 Jackson State versus South Carolina State. A lot of folks are excited for that matchup. It's going to be on ABC, so we're going to have a national audience for it. So I'm super excited for football season to start, but... As we've waited for football season to get here, there's been a huge conversation going on in the sport. And it's all about conference realignment and conference realignment hit the Pac-12 like a Mack truck. They lost eight schools because they didn't secure a stable media deal. They'll try to get a media deal with Apple. Those schools weren't having it. They want to be on TV to make sure that their football can be seen by the most amounts of people as possible. And the Pac-12 was not able to get a deal with Disney ESPN or Fox or NBC. They weren't able to get a deal. Now those schools are like, you know what? We're going to the Big Ten. We're going to the Big 12. And they might have two schools that might leave for the ACC really soon. The Pac-12 is now the pack four and there's going to be two more schools leaving so they're about to get packed up so a big conversation amongst hbcu alumni in the era of conference realignment and with us all seeing the demise of the pack 12 in real time all hbcu alum have been talking about as we move closer and closer to the football season is the business of college football and if hbcus are ready to make a possible jump to the fbs It's been a really hot topic, so I was debating on that I should do a Randall's thoughts, talking about what I think about HBCUs moving to the FBS, if I should write an article on Clutch Points, because if you all don't know, I am now the associate editor of HBCU content at Clutch Points, been putting out a bunch of articles trying to grow their HBCU sports strategy, so I'm like, you know what, that'd be an amazing article for me to write on Clutch Points, but then I thought about it, as I was preparing this week's episode, I was like, you know what, Ariel and I did an episode back last year, almost literally a year ago, talking about if HBCUs were ready to jump to the FBS and about conference realignment. Listen, the stars lined up perfectly. So that's what we're going to air on this week. So a brief backstory of how this episode came about. So as you all know, we air HBCU Post Radio on Sirius XM, Channel 142, HBCU, in partnership with Power University. So we had to have a process to get this show on Sirius XM. And one of the processes that we had to do is that we had to give an episode that was evergreen. And evergreen means that you can play it at any point in time it could be 20 years from now you can play this episode so we did an episode about hbcus moving up to the fbs conference realignment and we also did a real cool game matching up our all-time hbcu teams against each other and then debating about who will win it was such an amazing episode and as you can see we're on serious xm so they loved it so i believe you all are gonna love it so this is a throwback episode that probably hasn't been heard by a lot of people in this podcast so 
audience. So stay tuned. This is Ariel and I talking about the world of college football and how HBCUs fit into it. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. Welcome back to HBCU Pulse Radio, where we're talking about if HBCUs are ready for the big leagues in terms of football. Of course, it's always been conversation and it's a lot of history surrounding if HBCUs are ready to move to other FCS conferences, FBS conferences, and if they can compete with their peers outside of HBCU conferences. But I have Ariel Kilgore. She is a Pulse Sports correspondent, and she is my co-host for HBCU Pulse Radio Sports Edition. Ariel, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. I'm excited for today. So let's go on and hop into it. So I want to ask you this, Ariel. Do you think it's wise for HBCUs to judge their success on predominantly white institution football programs. Because what we see often with HBCUs is that we're systemically underfunded all the way around. And typically that underfunding, we see it a lot in our sports programs, where we don't have the money to give star athlete scholarships. We don't have the money for resources. You know, so oftentimes we grade our success on how we play against predominantly white institutions that are bigger, that have more money and that have more scholarships to give great players coming out of high school, you know? So do you think that we should be grading our success against predominantly white institutions and their football programs? I don't think we should. I don't believe it's fair that we try to compare ourselves to PWIs or other established sports programs. They have those resources and they have just been better in a sense and also have had more players and more, predominant people that are like, we're going to give back to them because we want to be better. We are not going to be in a place where we can think we're going to be able to compete. Now, I like the trend that's being set from players that are five stars or four stars wanting to go to HBCUs. I think that's a perfect start, but you can't compare our progress or where we want to be to PWIs. So one thing about, um, you know, HBCUs and funding is that a lot of funding comes from alumni donorship and also corporate sponsorships. That's why a lot of our best athletic directors are fundraisers. You know, that's why, you know, in the conversation about media rights, we hear, oh, these athletic directors and these folks, they don't know about media rights because they're not media people. They're more so they come from either a business type of background or a fundraising type of background where they know how to bring in money to programs. Because I think that football games often are won on two different fronts. They're won on the front line, but also I think outside of the football field, it's one with alumni donorship, boosters that are helping, corporate sponsorships, and also just how you're positioning your football programs in general. So I think that while it does go down to coaching as well, I believe that HBCUs are at a disadvantage because of the fact that we have been systemically underfunded. It's not our fault. I mean, I don't think it's like, oh, HBCUs have to do better all the way around. We do, but we have to look at the systemic inequities that we've had to face. And that's something that we always have to bring up. But I think that we've succeeded in spite of that. Look at Eddie Robinson, 57 years as Grambling State University's head coach, one of the greatest football coaches of all time. Notice I didn't say black. I said one of the greatest football coaches of all time. First and foremost, 57 years at a job. That's interesting. You got to love that job. <laughs> I just want to say you that. You have to love that job. For you, for me to be there that long, over half a century, for you to keep me and stay there, that's a lot of commitment. And that shows that that's what we need from HBCUs. Not only the commitment to have better players, but the commitment to 
make those deals that will allow them to be great, that allow them to be at better schools, allow them to have better competition. Is people like Eddie Robinson, when you look at them, we need more people like him. And yet we need more people that are dedicated. You're right. We need more people that, that are dedicated to the mission of uplifting HBCUs and seeing it as a viable option to grow their careers outside of coming to an HBCU, then going to another FCS program, then trying to go to FBS or trying to go to the NFL. Because I think that a lot of times what we've seen in modern history is a lot of folks, for better or worse, I'm not saying this is wrong, but they see, they see HBCUs as, hey, I'm going to get my resume up. I'm going to get them right. Then I'm going to move to the next institution or the next opportunity. Like another thing too, I'll say before we move to our next question, you will never ever see another Eddie Robinson that's out of school for 57 years. Cause I did my research at the end of Eddie Robinson's tenure at Grambling. And we'll talk about it more later. He had some losing seasons before he ultimately retired. And he had a lot of losing seasons when he started. In, in, in the early days. Like, you know, so that's something that people are not going to tolerate in modern day. You have one losing season, fired, you're gone. You know, you can't, it's not no Eddie Robinsons anymore because we don't allow our, our people to fail. We don't allow our people to figure it out and then succeed. But let's hop to this question as a segue. So should HBCUs try to go to FBS and other predominantly white FCS programs? Because of course we have the SWAC, we have the MEAC, we have the SIAC, we have the CIAA, and we've seen in 2004, FAMU tried to jump up to the FBS, and they went 3-8, and 0-5 and against Illinois, Tulane, Temple, Virginia Tech, and Florida International. That's not a great record. 2017, Hampton left the MEAC, and then they joined the Big South Conference, then they left the Big South Conference to go to the CAA, and then Ario, you're a North Carolina a graduate. You know about this, North Carolina A&T after dominating the MEAC and being the premier HBCU football team in 2020, they left the MEAC and they joined the Big South to then follow Hampton to the CAA. So they've hopped two predominantly white conferences. Ariel, so do you think HBCUs should stay in historically black conferences or do you think it's cool for them to try to hop to other conferences to try to compete? It's one of those things where without progress, without jumping forward, there will be no progress. If you're not willing to make that change, which we talk about a lot, if you're not willing to make those certain advantages for you to be better, then how can you get better? So I want HBCUs to jump into those power conferences. I want them to have better competition. I want them to be tested to their limit. But in previous years, like in 2004 with FAMU or 2017 or 2020 with A&T, it hasn't been successful for them to leap right into it. And I can say once they leap, it hasn't been an adjustment in recruiting class or a coach, defensive coach or offensive coach. I don't think you should necessarily change your head coach, but just those leaders within the team to actually make it better. And I think that's one of the reasons why teams, when they try to jump, especially HBCU teams, you don't see them dominating within the first three to five years of going into a new conference just because they didn't set themselves or prepare themselves properly to maybe, hey, I need to look for a new safety. I need to have a running game that goes crazy. So let me find a really good running back. They don't have those systems yet. So for them to jump out there, it's going to be like trying to row a boat with holes at the bottom. You're going to fail until you get on land and you pile them back up, and then you come out with a new crew, a new team, and make it better. I want them to jump. I think it's great. I think it would be great for all of us. 
but you have to be ready to jump with a new crew in mind, not just going out there with what you have. I feel where you're coming from. However, I believe that HBCU should stay right where they are. Mm. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the only way they should jump is if you jump collectively. I would not be mad if, let's say, the SWAC jumped or jumped historically, and they were an FBS conference, which that's a, a, a harder process as it is. And, of course, we, we know that historically when, in 2004, when fam, you did the jump, that was before you had to get an invitation to jump because now a conference has to want you for you to go to that conference. So that's one thing I think people often forget. But I think that HBCUs are not that far when it comes to competitiveness. We've seen historically North Carolina A&T, Jackson State, Grambling have dominant seasons. All corners had dominant seasons in recent history and also in the history of HBCU football where they stood out against the pack. Even FAMU historically has dominated everybody historically. But I believe that traditionally, I think that staying with HBCUs works traditionally because you have to go for what your target audience wants. I'm an entrepreneur. And the one thing that we learn as entrepreneurs is that you can't appease everybody. You have to know how to reach your target audience. And with HBCU football and HBCU athletic programs, this is our target audience, black folks at HBCUs. So why are we going to try to play Georgia? When we know that, number one, we have to get resources to compete with the schools such as Georgia and Alabama and Florida State and these different institutions that are FBS, number one. And also, number two, a lot of Georgia fans and a lot of Alabama fans and a lot of fans within PWI conferences, they don't like what we like. So your alumni that are donating, your fans that are coming out, and what makes us great is the not only the tradition, but the atmosphere of an HBCU game, the swag surf, the tailgating, the way we dance, the spirit that we have. If we go to these predominantly white conferences, we lose that. And I just don't believe that we should be grading our success on behalf of these other schools that are not within our conferences. So I just believe that if you were to move up, like you said, you have to be prepared. But I don't think that HBCU should move up because why not play in our conferences? Why not be with our people? I see what you're saying. And it does and it does make sense. And, you know, it kind of embodies, well, why not keep it and try to grow where you are? But let me, let me just throw out there, like, some top three teams and a quick stat. South Carolina State has won the MEAC 18 times. NCAT has won 11 and the third one is Bethune-Cookman at eight. Now, if we go to the SWAC, Grambling has won the most with 25, Southern with 20, and Jackson State with 18. And we've seen since Tariq Cohen moving and Jackson State getting their new coaches, and then you look at some D2 schools, and you also look at Grambling and Alabama A&M, those are schools that's been dominating and playing the same competition for years. So if I'm a school that has over 10 championships, 20 championships, why not lead the way for other schools that don't have it like me and to other FBS, other FCS programs and get that attention so that way they can come back and look, hey, Alabama, a hey, Hampton, hey, Norfolk, they have competition too. I don't mind. I think that's a good idea that maybe why doesn't, all the swag or MIAC leave, but I don't want to put all of them there if they're not ready. I feel like we should go with our front runners and try to put them there and make a way for them. 
that to me is better than trying to throw somebody out there and let them sink. I can be a buoy for you outside of the ship. Miat and Jackson State, I mean, Jackson State and ACAT and Grambly can be a buoy outside for Alabama A&M, Texas College, for Prairie View A&M. But trying to put all of them out there at the same time would defeat the purpose. I do like what you're saying, but I would rather go with the people that have the experience with the championship and let them fail a couple of years until we can make sure that everybody else that comes after us has a fair chance. So what I would say to that is that you say, like, these schools, they have multiple championships. Well, keep winning. <laughs> That's my thing. Keep it going. Keep the championships rolling. Because the thing is that what we, what we see systemically is that you have eras. And you have different athletes that come and go. And what we're seeing now is that we have a surplus of talented athletes that have elite training, They've been coached well. They've competed competitively their whole entire lives. And even high school football has raised the stakes more. Plus, we have a preponderance of media rights deals and streaming deals where now HBCUs have more accessibility. Why, what are we moving for? Are we moving for resources? Are we moving to compete? Are we moving to get drafted? Because resources are in HBCU conferences. Historically, you've had corporations such as Walmart, such as some of these other bigger corporations that are led by HBCU graduates that have donated historically to HBCUs. So now you have those corporate sponsorships. And then on top of that, now the number one thing was getting drafted and accessibility of the games. We have that with HBCUs. Now we have in tradition, Byron Allen, the HBCU go deal that happened in 2022. And you have HBCU League passed in 2021. You have ESPN that for better or worse, they've gotten games that are on their streaming services. They put, in, they put games on ESPN. Even back in the day, you had BET. You had BET that put the games on, and people have complained for years about BET getting out of the fray of football. So we want to jump up, you know, for money. We want to jump up to get our players drafted, but players are getting drafted from D2 and D1 without having to go to FBS and conferences, even white FCS conferences. I think the, the conversation is more about accessibility. And for me, it's more about, hey, resources. Because like you said, you're totally right. Where a lot of schools, even if the conference jumped up, they wouldn't be ready to go to an FBS conference or even a larger FCS conference that has, you know, predominantly white institutions that are have a tradition of winning and going to the playoffs. But my big thing is that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm a business person. I'm an entrepreneur. You are too. And the big thing for us is that we want to find the problem and give a solution. If the solution is there, keep the solution the solution. Don't make it a problem. Because if you're going to play Georgia, historically, for any point in time, it's going to be a problem. If you play Alabama, historically, any at any time, it's going to be a problem. If you play Florida State, well, I don't know. We'll see. Oh, don't do that. I, I, don't do that. <laughs> That's real crazy how you cut them off. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, fam, you with Jay Gaither had some teams that would have took Florida State back you know, to, to some games, I'll tell you that much. Jay Gaither had some teams. But that is a great tra transition into our next segment because we're going to talk about our all-time fantasy HBCU matchups. Are we going to talk about Jake Gay, the versus Florida State? Are we going to talk about Eddie Robinson? Make sure to stay tuned. We have a lot of interesting matchups, and we're doing D1 and D2. So stay tuned. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. Welcome back to HBCU Pulse Radio, where we're talking about HBCU football. We had an amazing conversation uh, in the B block of our program about 
HBCU football and its sustainability and if we should hop up to FBS and FCS conferences and if we're ready for the big leagues. But what I will tell you is that HBCUs have always historically had amazing teams. So we had to put our HBCU knowledge to the test and let's do like almost like a video game type of situation where we picked historic HBCU football teams in D1 and D2. And we have two matchups, D1 and D2, that we would have loved to have seen if history worked this way. If we had an HBCU video game, this is what we would play first, okay? So, Aria, I want you to go first. Historically, what two teams would you have wanted to have faced each other at the apex of their powers? I would take one of the greatest HBCU quarterbacks besides Doug Williams, Steve McNair from Alcorn State, and put him against Shadoris Sanders and what we can kind of call his prime in 2021. So Steve McNair was a swag quarterback. He went to Alcorn State, and he was one of those top players that was almost picked for the Heisman since Doug Williams. And then he was drafted to the Houston Oilers, which is now the Tennessee Titans. In 1992, he threw, he threw for over 3,000 yards, 29 touchdowns, and ran in for more than 10 scores. This man was the original dual-threat quarterback that we see today. Like, he is literally the blueprint. By his Caesar, by his senior season, he was over 6,000 yards. Now, when you look at Shador Sanders, he led them to the championship, but you know South Carolina State took it last year, and they were a really good matchup. The thing is about Shador Sanders, he has a great arm, and he always has extensive weapons, whether with his legs or with his hands, or trying to make players miss. However, he is not that good of a running quarterback or the speed that you would technically see out of Steve McNair. So I would love to see the speed of Steve McNair against the arm of Shador Sanders. I think that would be one of the greatest matchups that you will ever see. And then I had to I had to mix it up a bit with my other fantasy team because I was just like, you know, them D1 schools swagging me at they're not all they they're not all that great. So I wanted to take 2010 Albany State against FAMU in 2019 when they should have went to the Celebration Bowl. FAMU had an offense that will probably battle against Albany State. They had Derek Hall, who was a prime receiver. Albany State was known for their dominating defense in 2010 and 2013. Those were their champion conference titles runs. They had Calvin Harris. They had Rashawn Smith. They were both dominating over this game. In each game that they won from those two seasons, there were 15-point margins for three-fourths of those games between Albany State and FAMU, I would predict that D2 would win and Albany State would take it. So who would you pick as far as like, you know, Steve McNair and Alcorn State versus 2021 Jackson State and Shador Sanders? You know, I believe Shador Sanders and Jackson State would win. All I know is that when Alcorn fans hear this, they're going to be like, what? <laughs> <Tell me> they're <laughs> they, they're going to be on. Us, we love you, Alcorn. Like you, you, they have some really nice players, and they've had a lot of players that into the NFL. But yeah, I don't know about that one. Okay, <laughs> hey, 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 listen. Well, when we give the social media at the end of this segment, they're gonna be like, "What's the social media?" Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go reach out. Go. <laughs> <laughs> but so let's talk about my picks. So I want to show love to the history versus your modern day type of teams. So I had to go with an Eddie Robinson team. He coached for 57 years. So I think if we're putting them up against Deion Sanders-led 2021 SWAT champion Jackson State, we got to be fair. Some of those Eddie Robinson teams had a, a lot of Hall of Famers. They had a lot of pros. And I don't think that's fair because that was Coach Prime Deion Sanders' first year in 2021. So I decided to go with the 1992 Grambling Tigers. 
that were led by Eddie Robinson. Eddie Robinson was at the tail end of his career versus, of course, the 2021 Jack State University SWAC champion uh, Tigers. And Grambling was 10-2 and two overall, 6-1 and one in the SWAC, and they lost their season opener to Alcorn. And Alcorn went on to go to the FCS AA playoffs, but Grambling won their next 11 games. And to be honest, that was Eddie Robinson's last great team. He had a team after that that went 9-3, and three, but at the tail end of his career, Eddie Robinson's teams, they just didn't get over the hump. That I think his last team was three and eight, you know, before he retired, you know. So in those 57 years, he said he had his highs and lows, and that's made him a great coach. But I think the best thing about Eddie Robinson was his mind and also the fact he developed great pros versus you have Coach Prime Deion Sanders. His big thing was recruitment and having that pro background to try to instill in his players, hey, this is how we play in the pros, so I want you all to step up to this level. So it's almost like how we say all the time, what if Michael Jordan and LeBron played in the NBA Finals? Or what if they played in one game? You had the 1996 Bulls versus the 2013 Heat. Who would win that? That's almost like that. We have Eddie Robinson, who is undeniably the HBCU GOAT, versus Coach Prime Deion Sanders that wants to stake a claim as the HBCU coaching GOAT. I think Eddie Robinson will win. I'm sorry. You can't go against history in that way. I think Eddie Robinson, he's seen it all. He's seen Shador Sanders-type players. He's seen air raid offenses. He's seen Jerry Rice. He's seen Steve McNair. He's seen so many amazing Hall of Fame athletes. If you put Eddie Robinson against Coach Prime Deion Sanders, I think just the coaching pedigree would get him the win. It would be a close game. But I think the coaching pedigree and the fact that Eddie Robinson done seen it all, Grambling wins that. Now, my D2 matchup, because I went to Fort Valley State University, so I'm going to always show love to D2. So Shannon Sharp and the 1989 Savannah State Tigers, that was his senior year, versus the 2021 Albany State Golden Rams. As a Fort Valley State alum, Albany is our hated rivals, but I got to say Albany State, that 2021 team was one of the best I've ever seen. Their defense for Albany State, they, they were 10-2 overall, they were 6-0 in conference, and they made the playoffs. They boasted the number one defense, not just in the SIAC, but in the nation for Division II. They were holding their opponents collectively to 13 points per game, 160 passing yards, and only 11 total touchdowns for the entire season. That's dominant. Defense is important. And oftentimes, if the defense controls the game, listen, it's over. The defense is, is, is the, the dominant defense. I'll pick a dominant defense over an, an electric offense because if the defense controls the game and you can't run or pass, what you going to do? And that's what Albany State was doing at that D2 level. But you have Shannon Sharp's senior year in 1989 with the Savannah State Tigers. They went 8-1 overall, 5-0 in conference play, and they beat Fort Valley and Albany. They, they, they beat them that year, so you got to put that in too. But <laughs> listen, Shannon Sharp, let's talk about Shannon Sharp. He got 61 catches for 1,312 yards and 18 touchdowns. So in his season, Shannon Sharp scored more touchdowns than all the teams that Albany State played in 2021. So he was an offensive mastermind. And we know what Shannon Sharp turned into when he went into the league. I would have loved to have seen Shannon Sharp against the Gabe Gardena defense. And then let's not forget that Albany State that year in 2021 had two defensive players that made the first team off Syac, Malik Barnes and Stephen Pierre. 
and one person made the second team defensive back, Coimba Jones. So they have some great defensive players that had those honors. Who's stopping Shannon Sharp, though? That's the question. How you going to stop Shannon Sharp? Because Shannon Sharp's a gamer, so he's like, hey, so y'all trying to play that defense? Y'all trying to go man? Y'all trying to blitz? Y'all trying to go cover two, cover three? I got you. And then Shannon Sharp would have got some touchdowns. It would have been no, oh, you'll hold us to, to no points, only two touchdowns. But, Ariel, I pick Albany State to win that. I got to go with the modern-day team because I think that we would have been able to have seen, you would have enough tape on Shannon Sharp. I think Albany State would have cooked up an offense. Albany State would have cooked up a defensive scheme that would have stopped Shannon Sharp, at least slowed him down a little bit. Because you can never stop great players. You're not going to stop Jerry Rice. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to stop Steve there. You just want to stunt them a little bit. You want to stop them a little bit. And I think that Albany State, with those amazing defensive players that year, I think they would have found a way to, number one, pressure the quarterback. We would have been able to pass it to Shannon Sharp. Or they would have found a way to double-team Shannon Sharp in some way, shape, form, or fashion where you prevent him from getting the ball. Or if he does get the ball, he's getting lit up. So, Unc, I'm sorry. If you hear this, I'm sorry, Unc. But I pick Albany State 2021. Let's go on and, and close it out. So, Ariel, where can we find you on social media? Um, I don't want them to find me after Alcorn State, but you can find me on Twitter at AskGreeWee underscore underscore, or, or you can find me on my website at theunaxedopinion.weebly.com. I love it. I love it. So listen, we're going to close out the show in a second, so make sure to stay tuned. You're listening to HBCU Pulse Radio. That is it for us on today. We had an amazing show, and we talked about a lot of great things concerning HBCU football. And really, where do we go from here? And also, our all-time teams were great as well. Man, I would love to have seen Eddie Robinson coach against Deion Sanders. That would have been so cool. It would have been almost like a passing of the torch. Or, hey, listen, you ain't there yet. (laughs) Eddie Robinson was so great. And Deion Sanders, 2021, he and his team dominated. So I would have loved to have seen that matchup. But make sure to continue the conversation on our social media platforms. Of course, Instagram at HBCU Pulse, Twitter and TikTok at the HBCU Pulse, and of course, YouTube at HBCU Pulse. And also make sure to subscribe to HBCU Pulse wherever you get your podcast for HBCU Pulse Radio so we can continue to speak to you and continue to give you this amazing content. But thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we'll see you on the other side. Like what you hear? Yeah. Subscribe to HBCU Pulse Radio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, head to HBCUPulse.com to stay up to date on what's going on in the HBCU community. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to HBCU Pulse Pulse Radio. Radio.